0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at school.com Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman's
4: This is Rebecca. Marcy was not available, so I came back from my trip today, and, yeah, here I am.
2: Ew. <laughs> where did you trip off to?
4: I went down to southern Oregon uh, to the Ashland area and went to Mount Ashland into some subalpine forest there, and I have a whole bunch of herbs behind me um, as I'm sitting here that I harvested. Aha,
2: what, what were you able to harvest there?
4: Um, there was I found some agastache, um, the the hyssop, the mountain hyssop, and that was kind of one of the surprise scores, and um, a bunch of molin and there was a lot of artemisia. I believe it's artemisia vulgaris. That's so it's super abundant there. Um, lots of yarrow and some more hypericum, and um, elder flowers are still. Um, on the bushes there, so I got quite a few elderflowers, and I believe that's pretty much what I got. Yeah.
2: All right. And you
4: amazing plants.
2: <laughs> behind you now, as in in the room behind you.
4: Yes, in the room behind me, they're all they're all laid out, being getting ready to be uh, processed. Some stuff I just got done processing, like putting in jars and stuff, and some stuff I was able to do on the road. But um, yeah, I stopped to hang the mullin and you know all that kind of stuff. So.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, it sounds like a mm-hmm. good thing you came home because it doesn't do to let that stuff sit around.
4: Yeah. No. Yeah, I did I mean, a lot of harvesting yesterday, but it was. Luckily, it wasn't as hot down there as it typically is this time of year, and the, the ride back was well-ventilated and not so hot.
2: All right, excellent. Yeah, one mm-hmm. of the things that is when we're harvesting nettle is I tell people not to harvest for more than 15 minutes at a time because if you harvest for longer than that, the nettle can actually start to rot the fresh nettle just from being up against each other.
4: Yeah, I saw some nettle out there, too, and the nettle hasn't gone to flower down there yet, which I was surprised because ours is so far along.
2: Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have different, different patches of it that come to flower at different times because of different amounts of light and, and shade, of course. So mm-hmm. uh, especially, especially those protein-rich herbs, they need to be dealt with promptly. And also I find that people have a tendency to harvest more than they can actually process. hmm it's easy to be carried away by the abundance of nature and take more and more and more, and then not have the energy or the time or the space to actually hang it to dry, turn it into tincture, whatever it is you're going to do with it.
4: Yes, I luckily one of the reasons I, take, why I
2: encourage people to like just do it at the time, harvest that hypericum, turn it into tincture right then, take it, take the stuff with you, so that way you know you haven't overharvested, or if you. If you haven't gotten enough, you can get a little more.
4: Yeah, and I always make sure I don't take too much because I do do several harvests. Uh, I go out several times for, like, Hypericum especially and for Yarrow. Usually, you know, it's like some patches are really abundant and then other ones are not so much. So I like to only take, like, a little bit from each one. And then later on in the year when I go back to those places and they set seed, I always make sure to, like, spread the seed too.
2: Ah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. for the hypericum, which is, um, you know, a three-year perennial. In other words, it lives for three years, but that's it.
4: hmm yeah. Yeah, and those patches do jump around, and they, they vary from year to year. Like one patch I went to this year, I was like, it has been so abundant for so many years, and then this year it's just gotten, it, it got overgrown with so many other weeds and stuff. So they didn't yep. mow it down, I think, around there, which they usually do. So.
5: They
2: usually do, right. Yeah. It likes it likes places to get mown once a year. Mhm. But one of my favorite places to harvest hypericum used to be this really big horse pasture. And the horses would eat everything except the hypericum so it's terrifically easy to harvest.
4: hmm Yep. <laughs> yeah, the animals don't don't eat it, which is a good thing for us. For us herbalists.
2: That it is, that it is. So at How nine you- o'clock. Nine o'clock tonight, East Coast time, Craig Salerno, Sal, Salerno is going to be with us. Mm-hmm. And he is a licensed addiction counselor, which is one of those kind of funny terms. It sounds like he's going to counsel you as to how to be addicted. But, of course, we're thinking he's probably an anti-addiction counselor. And he's passionate about exploring psychedelic medicines for active addiction and addiction recovery. He offers psychotherapy, psychedelic integration, and ketamine therapy, and he's going to be talking to us tonight at 9 o'clock, so stay with us or come back at 9 o'clock and hear what Craig Salerno has to say about the use of psychoactive plants and the process of recovery from addiction. Uh, really and burgeoning and fascinating field as far as I'm concerned
4: yeah the ketamine thing I've been hearing people talk some about it do you have much experience with that Susan with ketamine
2: no I have no experience at all with ketamine so I'm quite fascinated as to what Craig is going to tell us
4: yeah yeah me too um, and you sound like you're doing well this week are you how are you feeling
2: well i up to my activity level I'm now up mm-hmm. and actively working for at least four hours a day and walking at least two miles every day.
4: Oh, wow. That feels good, I bet. Yes. Yes. Wow, two miles. That, that's a fast recovery. That's amazing.
2: Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's still, you know, there's still miles to go before I sleep, as Robert Frost said. <laughs> But, um, you know, Mm -hmm. big big wound that I'm taking care of where they took all of that stuff out. And that image that I had, that I mentioned last week, this um, experience that I had when I was teaching down in New York City. And after I taught way downtown at the Open Center, I got in my car and drove uptown to Annie Sprinkle's house because I was spending the night with Annie. And got a great parking place and went around and opened my trunk, and my trunk was bare as Mother Hubbard's cupboard. Mm-hmm. And I got blinked, you know, I could not believe my eyes, so I shut the trunk, got back in the car, turned it on, drove around the block. I thought, I just got off in the wrong reality. Okay. I'll just drive around the block, park again, and I'll get off in the right reality this time. But alas, when I opened the trunk, it was still bare. And that's, you know, there was nothing in my boot, and that's kind of like what I'm feeling like, you know, that my my boot is empty. Mm-hmm. I thought that I, I you know, but if you asked me beforehand, I would say, oh, I bet I'm going to miss my uterus. But I don't really notice. My body acts as though my uterus was still there. But it mm-hmm. really misses all the bony structure that got sawed out. hmm Yeah. It's quite, it's quite the empty boot. So mm-hmm. working that both physically and warding off infection and dealing with the psychological consequences of that as well, just the sense of, wow, you know, the grief of uh, that particular hollowness and emptiness and asking my body, what are we going to fill that with? How are we going to fill that in? Mm -hmm. So Mm. quite the challenge to the body to fill in that much tissue over over that larger wound. But I think I did mention that somebody sent me a pink plush elephant, thank you so much, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, with blue flowers on her, and I named her Vavavoom, the vacuum elephant, because, of course, the doctors mm-hmm. want to put me on a vacuum pump, and I loathe to carry around a backpack with a vacuum for my wound. Um, so Vavavoom is on the scene all the time now vacuuming the wound.
4: Oh, wow. Well, thank you for sharing.
2: You're uh, welcome. The, uh,
4: yeah, yeah. I'm it's really not too
2: and awful and the people are not, like, throwing up their dinners here. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: we the show the show's good for that sharing all of our most vulnerable things on here, all of us. I so
2: together <laughs> yesterday, and we're you know just delighted with the uh, the Green Goddess apprentices that have been approved, and helping get them all situated, and um, really looking forward to our Green Goddess Apprentice week, the first week of August. So that's mm. all. Settling down and getting Beautiful, in the yeah. place. Yeah, and I'm starting to I'll be to moving eagle, into
4: in August, and in
2: that week. That, so. <laughs> that traditionally, I'd always served Anasazi beans for the first meal, because Anasazi oh, yeah. means ancestor, and the first meal of the Green Goddess Apprentice Week is always beans and rice. And I serve beans mm-hmm. and rice in solidarity with all of the people on this planet whose meal that evening will be beans and rice. And those people are, of course, richer than the people whose meal will be only the rice, mm. and they don't have the beans to go with it. But throughout most of the world, most people will be eating beans and rice for dinner in some form or another. And I love to serve the Anasazi beans, but I cannot get them anymore. I'm not sure what happened to the Anasazi beans. And uh, Eagle Song said, "I have some heirloom beads from Uncle So and Seeds from Uncle So and So's beans. So she's going to bring these heirloom beans. So we're going to connect the ancestors through the beans."
4: Nice. Yeah, my teepee that I got has Anasazi. Uh, it's a design on the teepee. You know, the teepees weren't. Anasazi people didn't have teepees, but the oh, design they, they, is. <laughs> they, it's a beautiful design on there, though.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. From, a, from a petroglyph, from a rock. Exactly, rock
4: yeah. Some, like, very serpentine uh, and some, like, sun-like, um serpentine serpentine things that go up the the lacing of it and then some like sun designs around the top of it and some like spiral like kind of um uh, designs as well yeah
2: cool groovy i want to remind everybody that if you want to raise your hand you push one mm-hmm. strangely enough i got a couple of people communicating with me during the week, and this said. I wasn't recognized. My, I wasn't called, you know, and I said, did you press one? And they said, oh, no, I didn't press one. So, hey, gang, yes. you have to press one or we do not know you have a question.
1: Before
4: we open it up to the callers, I also wanted to just uh, – we were talking about cutting cords last week and, like, all of the complex things that can be caught in there from various, uh, you know, interactions we have throughout our life. And I was wondering – when you've done some of that like deeper work and um, found like those different things, you know, like chords and you know, you said harpoons and all the things in there, are you using? Are you? You're going into like a visionary state when you're doing that and going through each chakra. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and are you using it's any the type of
2: active imagination? Um, it could be called a guided meditation. There's a lot of names for it. Okay. Not necessarily visual. We tend to mm-hmm. use visual words to describe it because we mm-hmm. do not have a vocabulary for proprioceptive things.
4: Mm-hmm. Right. Okay.
2: Uh, so if you're I'm not a- seeing images, it's okay. Don't worry.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm still, I'm working, I'm working through this, and I did have a little bit of help from a friend to do some work, and I'm going to do some more deep work with it. So I was just curious, like, what's your, um, if you had any more, you know, ways of getting into those places, uh, doing that kind of work. So any tips, I guess. I've never had any
2: problem, never had any problem getting in. After all, it's me.
4: Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, and like you said, it's not necessarily a visual thing, but just uh, making sure there's nothing attached in there. Okay. Right. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: Okay. Okay, excellent. Thank you.
2: You You're welcome. And
4: are you ready for the first caller? I am. Okay. The first caller is coming from the 206 area code. Hey,
2: I think it's
6: me. Is it me?
2: How are you doing tonight?
6: And this is Shay. I'm good. How are you?
7: Oh, I didn't recognize your voice, Shay. Good to talk to you. You too.
6: Last night I was listening to your blog talk from last week. And the interview at the end was especially precious and catalyzing. And as I was listening to you, I, I had this voice in my head saying, "My pussy is a lion. My pussy is a lion." <laughs> It was really great. That um, is wonderful. Yeah, I
2: meant to ask Rebecca if that woman ever got in touch and if she heard me channeling her.
6: <laughs> well, I certainly appreciated how you delivered the interview. My question tonight is that it's about a diagnosis that I got of cervical radiculopathy, which um, I guess is a pinched nerve in my neck, and um, some of the Symptoms that the doctor has connected to that diagnosis is um, some tingling in my left arm and numbness, and it has also contributed to some pressure in my chest and some breast pain. I'm calling to ask how I can best support um, healing or working with this um, I am doing the five nourishing herbal infusions religiously. Um, are there other things that I could be doing um, besides physical therapy, which I am also going to begin?
2: That sounds excellent. Both homeopaths and herbalists, whenever nerve pain comes up, think of hypericum perforatum. Hypericum has an amazing ability to get right into the nerves and the nerve endings and change what's going on. Mm-hmm. I was talking earlier today about after I had come out of the surgery and was in the recovery ward um, that one of the things that really plagued me was sciatic pain in my left leg. And in the hospital they put lidocaine patches on it and gave me bad drugs. And when I got home, of course, I threw all the bad drugs away and they hadn't sent me home with any lidocaine patches, although I could buy them at the drugstore so i decided i was just going to you know beat the the um the pain um and just make it go away so i stayed up all night long taking a dropper full of hypericum tincture every 10 to 15 minutes mhm and i did that for 8 to 10 hours wow and then i went about my day and then the next night i stayed up as long as i could i was pretty tired so it wasn't all night taking hypericum every 10 to 15 minutes. And basically after that I would have an occasional twinge but really no sciatic pain at all.
6: Okay. And did that, um, after those first couple of nights, Did it? Um, was that the end of that? That's what I, I said. That's
2: you... what I just said.
6: Yeah, okay.
2: But those weren't the first couple of nights, were they? That was after I was home, after I'd been in the hospital right. for two weeks. Right. With that pain. Which they, okay, were so with, I can... which they were dealing with with lidocaine patches and very mm-hmm. bad pain relieving drugs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I got okay. home and started taking the pain relieving drugs and really wailed on the nerve pain by using Hypericum, by using full drop or full dose every 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. Which is a lot. Which is a lot, which is why you want to make it yourself.
8: Mm
6: hmm
2: So that you feel that you can use lavish amounts of it. Not every herb am I using in that quantity, of course, but for the Mm -hmm. hypericum, that's what I found effective. Mm hmm Okay. All right. The The oil, of course, can be used externally. At the same time that you're using the tincture internally. If the oil helps relieve the pain or the numbness or the tingling or whatever's going on.
6: Okay. Great. I have both of those things. Goody. All right. Thank you. Green blessings. You're welcome,
2: Shay. Green blessings. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.
4: The next colour is coming from the seven three two area code. Ah. Hi, Susan.
9: Hi. Hi. Um, okay, so I'm I called you back in maybe it was uh January. Um I had been in the hospital at the very end of November with a very bad case of pneumonia. And it was a week in the hospital and then three weeks home and one of the things you told me to get was mowing. So I tried calling on uh, Mountain Rose, they were all out. And Back, it was around Mother's Day, I went to a farm. I live in New Jersey, an herbal farm, and they had mullein. I got a mullein plant that was about four inches high, and it's now six feet high, and my leaves are one foot long. (laughs) And so I want to ask you, how do I turn these leaves into, uh, one would be, were you talking a cup of tea or can I do an infusion and then the second question is, the other thing you mentioned, it was uh, with an E. I I made notes, and I can't find them, and you said this is like a powerhouse, like this will knock stuff out of you in one day, but you really take it just for one day. And I can't remember the name of it.
2: Ella Campaign. That's it. That's it. Thank you. In your last but I didn't say you only take it for one day. Okay. Okay. I might Did have you? said you might need to only take it for one day, but I would never say that you only take it for one day.
9: Okay, so how how many how long can you take it for?
2: How long do you need to take it for? We only take for as long as we need them. They're not like everyday maintenance. Mullen is a biennial plant. Do you know what that means? No, I don't. No, I don't. Okay, plants have three ways of growing. An annual plant the seed sprouts, grows, has flowers and seeds and dies all in one year or less than a year. Okay. A biennial plant takes less than two years but more than one year. So the seed sprouts, grows, and it only grows a little bit above ground, and it makes what's called a basal rosette, which is like a mandala, where all the leaves come together at the center. Yes. And then it overwinters because it's made a big taproot. And then in the second year, that plant shoots up a flower, stalk flowers, and then dies. Okay. So your mullein plant is about to die forever.
9: Oh. So I'm not going to get to make cheese.
2: <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm not sure oh, why okay. it is jumped to, to that. But I okay. certainly didn't say anything even approaching that. Okay. A perennial is a plant that lives for more than two years,
5: mm-hmm.
2: but at least three. Many people, when asked what a perennial is, say a plant that lives forever. Well, nothing lives forever. And many people are disappointed when they buy perennials that die after three years. But mm-hmm. that's still a perennial. If it lives for more than two years, it's perennial.
5: Right.
2: It doesn't mean lives forever. Mm-hmm. So the best thing to do with the mullen is to cut the entire mullen plant down at about ground level and hang it upside down to dry. Okay. Because there is no point in leaving it in your garden because mm-hmm. it won't do anything. Now, if you don't want the qualities that are in the stalk, and they're yeah. very important qualities, but mm-hmm. you prefer to let the mullen flower so that it sets seeds and could grow in your garden again, which is what I would do. I would never buy a mullen plant I would simply go to flowering mullen that has seeds, and I would harvest the seeds and then scatter the seeds where I wanted it to grow. Okay. It is a wild plant. It is a weed.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, then you could just harvest the leaves, but they're cumbersome and difficult to dry, and they pretty much have to be hung individually. Okay. So it's a lot easier just to cut the whole thing and hang it upside down and dry it all at once. There's There's right. uh, some sedative qualities in the stalk. The stalk is kind of awkward and sometimes has to be like sawn with a, a heavy-duty saw, um, mm-hmm. depending on how big the mullein is. usually six feet. And the leaves are over, uh, you know, 12 inches long, so it might have a very thick stalk. But it's right. certainly worthwhile getting that extra activity from the stalk, and that's why I harvest the whole thing just as it starts to come into flower. Okay. Then I, because it's then dried, and I cut it into pieces using a saw if I need to or very sharp garden shears. Then I make an infusion with mullen, using one ounce of dried mullen to a quart of boiling water, letting it steep and straining mm-hmm. it. And when I am drinking the mullen to help repair lung tissue, I always take it with the greatest healer known for the lungs, and that is milk. Yes. So it is mullen milk, usually mixed about half mullen infusion and half milk. That can be heated up and taken with honey. The milk can be warmed with spices like cinnamon or cloves if you like mullen chai.
9: Okay. Great. And could you just spell for me that, that tincture that you mentioned?
2: E L E C A M. P-A-G-N-E, L-A campaign, Inula, I-N-U-L-A, Helenium, H-E-L-E-N-I-U-N, Inula Helenium, the Helen of the, the, the sweet Helen of the field.
9: Great. Thank you so much.
2: It's usually okay. used as a tincture only.
9: Tincture, okay.
2: Tincture of the word, and it is a perennial plant, and it's a hardy perennial. It grows for many years.
9: Yeah, you know, it's fall coming, I really want to even just have this in the house, <laughs> not knowing, you know, what Sounds to good. expect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much.
2: You are so welcome. And I talk about both Mullen and Ella Campaign in the, my free course um, about how to, to cope with COVID at wisewomanschool.com, if you haven't already. Okay. Oh,
9: oh your wonderful. Free, okay. Head on over thank there you. and get
2: your free course, and there's more on Mullen and Ella Campaign there.
9: Great, thank you
2: Okay, bye-bye Okay, have a great you. night Bye
4: The next caller okay. is coming from the 631
0: code. Hello? Hello? Hello Hello, this is Moretta, Susan
2: Hey, Moretta
0: I'm a sweetheart I'm so glad to hear that you're gaining strength And, you know, that's really uh, made me happy Unfortunately, hey, I lost a lot of strength. I lost 30 pounds, and I finally found out I went to ear, nose, and throat doctor that I have E. coli on my tongue, and that is why my mouth has been so burning, and my throat, and you know, so I'm, what I'm using is um, uh, usnea and usnea tincture and uh needless to say uh my my tongue and throat are not ex- totally excited about it because it's also in uh alcohol and my I have a very dry mouth and dry, you know, throat and and also uh the same doctor said that I needed to take some medicine for a very acidic uh stomach and but instead I'm doing dandelion and I'm doing some of that uh, sauerkraut water and uh, I'm starting every meal with that. So do you have anything you can re- recommend for this E. coli? My doctor wanted me to put, on, put me on the most crazily dangerous antibiotic. And uh, I was just afraid that that's going to totally kill me, you know.
2: I totally hear that. Uh, You know, usnea does not have to be taken as a tincture. You can buy dried usnea, and you can boil it up and take it as a, a decoction or a very strong tea.
0: Yeah, the only thing is I can buy it, but, you know, the delivery now is like two weeks anywhere, you know what I mean? not i don't have access to buy anything okay
2: i just ordered like six hundred dollars worth of herbs for frontier and they were at my doorstep in
0: five days frontier okay and uh now and i also have uh juniper and tincture but everything i have is like in tincture
2: And the tincture is upsetting to your tongue because your tongue feels raw, yeah, and of course so what I do is when I see the slimy things that help relieve that kind of rawness in the oral tissues include things like slippery elm and marshmallow.
0: yeah, well, what I'm doing is every time I take that um tincture i um I wash it down with marshmallow root marks. Yeah, and then, uh, so uh, what would you say is uh, uh, ordering it, uh, the Ushnia? It definitely has helped because my stomach is completely like a iron ball, you know, and it's uh, definitely uh, helped.
2: uh now when you say stomach, is that above your belly button or below it?
0: Is it, uh, it is... When I say stomach, it is whenever I eat, it goes down and sits there like a hard, like as if it didn't move. Then, in the past couple of days, since I used the usnia, at least uh, I don't have pain in it now when I eat. Before I had pain nice. every Very time nice. I ate. Now it sort of has a, a little, sometimes a little gurgling to it and, you know, gas. And my bowels are moving very, very well, you know. But uh, I'm realizing that that ustner is really detoxifying, you know, and it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, so you know I'm. All this you know,
2: time, you know me, and you're still clinging to the idea of toxins. How sad!
0: Oh, don't, don't cling to that idea. Forget that.
2: There are no toxins in your body. There is no way to detoxify. Okay. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah, I've been and, uh, and as long as you've
2: known me for over 50 years, Maretta, Thank you for finally hearing.
0: Oh my God! There's not
2: gas in your stomach. There's gas in your intestines. That's why I was asking. It was if it was above your belly button or below your belly button. Below oh, the belly button but, uh, versus the it, stomach and uh, in uh, intestines. Above your belly button is your stomach, which is an organ. And yeah. yes, when you swallow your food goes into your stomach, but yeah. there's not gas produced in your stomach. And, in fact, fortunately for us, the stomach has few to no nerve endings because there's hydrochloric acid in the stomach. And if there were nerve endings in the stomach, we would all be in incredible pain all the time. Yeah. In fact, if some of that acid splashes up into the esophagus, then we are in pain, and we call that heartburn. Yeah. But, but if we're feeling gas or if we're feeling gurgling or for we're feeling pain, it basically can't be the stomach. It has to be the intestines.
0: Aha, uh-huh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, what comes out the other end looks very peculiar. I've never seen it look like that, you know. it's uh, Is the I mean, color uh, strange? Very, very strange-looking, uh, you know, bowel movements. But uh, at least uh, there are uh, a lot coming out, you know. Okay. And I use Slippery Elm. Um, and, and the, the so, only way so I can stand Cypriol. I hear that you
2: use cyprium and dandelion and Usnia. And then I hear you ascribing all of this to Usnia like the dandelion wasn't doing anything. Whereas it's very well known that dandelion is very exceptionally gut active.
0: Yeah, that I know, you know. So I'm doing it with every meal. And again, you know, I do it. And then I, uh, and then I have some of that uh, uh, water from the, the sauerkraut. And then, again, I take a little bit of this uh, marshmallow root and wash that down afterwards. Just Sounds to very, very good. And
2: w- I'm asking you why you're ascribing your improved gut health to usnia and not to dandelion and marshmallow. Uh,
0: why am I what? A-
2: you are saying,
0: oh, the usnia
2: is helping my, you said stomach, but I'm saying gut. Oh, the usnia yeah. is really helping my gut, and I'm saying... Why are we ignoring the dandelion and the marshmallow, which I think is what's actually having the effect on your gut, not the oznia?
0: And you don't think that uh, you don't think <clears throat> that E. coli is a uh, is a you know to have
2: an actual part of your gut flora. There's supposed to be E. coli in your gut.
0: Yeah, but this is but it's on my tongue.
2: I understand. Yeah, But I thought you were talking about improvements in your gut.
0: Yeah, but I'm just saying that my gut going
2: around in circles here.
0: Yeah, you you so know what I will, it is? I will
2: just let it go. I am glad you're using the Osnia, and I'm glad that your tongue is responding and that it's helping you to get rid of the E. coli on your tongue. Yeah. I absolutely believe that, and I'm happy to hear that. The other changes you're talking about, I believe, are coming from the dandelion and marshmallow and slippery elm you're using and not... From the osnia.
0: Oh, you think the help is really coming from the dandelion, and and so forth. Yeah. Not to get rid of the rely on
2: your tongue, but the other gut changes you are talking about. Yeah. Am I somehow mishearing you? I thought you were saying there were positive and beneficial gut changes.
0: Um. Do you feel lighter?
2: That there's gurgling.
0: Yes, slightly. Slightly so. Since I started doing the Usnia there's a slight improvement in the gut. But um,
2: Okay, so this is the last time I'm going to, go, going to go around on this, and then I'm going to go drop it. I don't think the Usnia has anything to do with your gut. Do
0: uh, you think it has something to do with my tongue? Yes. It's helping the tongue? Yes. Yeah, thank you.
2: And what's going on in your gut that's beneficial is because of the marshmallow and the dandelion.
0: Yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Susan.
2: You're welcome.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of an echo on this phone here, so I had a hard time hearing you. Sorry. Yeah, it's uh, pretty uh, bad because then at the same time I also had uh, have a lot of back pain. And I, you know, was diagnosed with osteoporosis of the lumbar spine. So I have a lot of uh, pain in my back, and I try to swim every day, so... But I hardly, it's hard for me to get around. so that's And,
2: difficult. of course, I would be using yogurt or water kefir or something like that in a situation like that as well.
0: Yeah, I, I use, uh, I don't know what water kefir is, but I do yogurt. Excellent. Yeah, a lot of yogurt. And uh, my doctor prescribed something called uh, bone... Um, God, what was the uh, name? Yeah, oh yeah, Yellow Bone, and it's sort of uh um, a, but you would not take prescription. You take that kind of a. Uh, 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 help from the for the bone. Hello.
2: Well, I'm trying to figure out how to answer you. Drugs are not help for the bones.
0: Okay, so that those pills are not helping with the bones. No, how about, they do not help
2: the bone. How about uh,
0: Basically what oh, those pills
2: them? do, and you can check and find out very specifically. I think you're saying you're taking Boniva. Basically what those drugs do is they stop the process by which bone is remodeled.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So there are two kinds of cells in the bones. Cells that build new bone and cells that eat old bone.
0: Oh, my God. And
2: in osteoporosis, they... The drugs that are used stop the cells that eat old bone from functioning.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not taking anything, but uh, so I, that's do basically, eat, basically yeah, I do. Basically, basically what they're taking your
2: infusions. You're eating yogurt. You're swimming. It sounds like you are really doing the right things there.
0: Yeah. Uh, what about bone broth?
2: Excellent. Yeah. Great idea.
0: How many cups a day?
2: How many do you crave? How many do you want?
0: Well, um, We're not
2: machines. One yeah. day it may be one, one day it may be four, one day it may be none.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. Not
2: talking a drug here. We're talking a yeah. food, and we want to be responsive to what our bodies are telling us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going slow with it, you know, like half a cup here, one cup there. and
2: uh, Sounds and great to me.
0: Sounds good to you, yeah. Well, bless you, Susan.
2: Uh, I have several bone broths in the refrigerator. And, of course, because they're refrigerated, they like gel up into gelatin. And I really enjoy that as a summertime snack, that cold gelatin, rather than heating up the bone broth.
0: Yeah. You know what I also uh, eat a lot of is sardines, but unfortunately you can only get them in cans. But... And
2: what's wrong with getting them in cans?
0: <coughs> yeah, is it all right to eat uh can it is. Yes.
7: There's we no problem with eating in
0: cans. <laughs> what do you think? It's safe to eat
2: sardines from cans. Yes.
0: You think it's fine? Absolutely fine. Okay. So, I uh, how many cans a day? One can a day? Stop it. Yeah. Stop! Okay. Half a can. You know what
2: I'm going to answer. Listen to your body. You're not a robot. It's yeah. not a drug. It's a food.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. A lot of I'm uh, eating also a lot of vegetables and <clears throat> I had I have kind of flying uh, blood pressure, so I do beets every day and.
2: All right. Excellent.
0: Blueberries every food. day.
2: Beets is one of the vegetables that we actually do send for a swimming lesson, really fill that pan up with water and boil our beets, and then we have lots of beet juice to drink, which is so good because it's yeah. not, like, juiced from the beet, which really is just a source of sugar, but it's actually the liquid that the beet's boiled in. So now it's actually nourishing and healing.
0: Yeah, that's As opposed
2: what I... to actually, like, the juice of the beet, which isn't.
0: Yeah, I actually... Cook them up in the in their water, and I use both the water and the beets, and then I add a little uh i add a little um uh, what is it called uh, apple cider vinegar, just a tablespoon and a tablespoon of olive, oil, and then i put you know i put it in the blender and it comes out delicious and my mouths are really happy to have that
2: oh, how fabulous what a great idea
0: isn't that a good idea. Yes. Well, it all, You know, all I can do is turn around and bow to you because all my great ideas I got from Abundantly Will.
5: <laughs>
0: yeah, your book came out in such a life-saving time for me. I cannot tell you because I, you know, I eat broccoli, I eat the avocados, I eat all the stuff in there, you know, the beets. I went into big time to get enough beets in me every day because I saw the writing. And, uh, you know, it's also an old school in Denmark to, buy, to eat beets with every meal, but nobody does it here. So, uh, But I'm doing it every day, twice Hooray
2: a day. for you.
0: you yeah, lunch take, and dinner.
2: You take such superb care of yourself. You are a real beacon to all of us, Maretta.
0: Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> But I, I've learned from you And uh, and uh, I, my love for you is enormous And I pray for you And I know you're going to be well And uh, I'm kind of making I'm, I'm walking with a walker So you can imagine I'm not in the best shape But I'm still uh, making a little ramp And I'm going out of my in my garden And I have somebody helping me weed it And uh, I'll be back in shape again.
2: All right, Noretta. Every day stronger and stronger.
0: Stronger and stronger, yeah. God bless you. God bless you.
2: And you too. I love you a
0: lot. Green blessings. I tell you one thing. I love you so much. I can't even. It's so tender and so much of it. Love you. Mm, I accept that
2: with great delight.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks.
2: Green blessings, my love. Clean yeah,
0: clean blessings. blessings. Love. Love you. Love.
4: The next caller is coming from the 206 area code.
10: Hello? Hello? Hey, uh, Susan
2: Reed? That is you. Is to you? The
10: US? Okay, thanks. Um, hi. Um, I'm, I have a question for you um, about uh, NarcoLess. Do you, sorry do you know about narcolepsy okay um do you know anything about treating narcolepsy with natural herbs, and also do you, and or uh do you know any uh natural herbs that can be taken to uh balance out the sleep mechanisms in the brain
2: i to answer questions like that. I would need to be a druggist or a pharmacist because oh, okay. druggists so and really pharmacists can... treat diseases. But I'm an herbalist, and I don't treat diseases. I treat people. So oh, okay, let's, okay. Let's I'm find the person. Do you have narcolepsy?
10: Oh, I think I do. I haven't really been diagnosed yet. I'm, I'm going to talk to a psychiatrist. I've been to a doctor, and they referred me
2: to a psychiatrist. Okay, well, so far yes, as I've I know, narcolepsy is not a psychiatric disorder. It is a functional disorder in which you fall asleep sleep. without solution. Yeah. And it can be quite dangerous. Basically, uh, someone who has a diagnosis of narcolepsy uh, does not drive a car.
10: Yeah. Because right. they
2: can kill themselves and others. So, as I said, it's not a psychiatric diagnosis. It's an actual functional thing. But, again, back to my mm-hmm. point, which is as an herbalist, I do not treat diseases. I treat people. Okay. So can you tell okay. me what's going on with you, rather than asking me to treat a disease?
10: Well, Give me yeah, some I was... give me
2: some sense of what your day is like. You well, wake up in the morning. What time do you wake up in the morning?
10: Well, my sleep. I'm pretty, I'm effectively not. Well, usually I'm nocturnal. Right now I'm awake at like uh, three or four in the afternoon, and then I I'm awake until. I wake up at 3 or 4 in the
2: afternoon and I fall asleep at like uh,
10: like 5 in the morning the next day. And that's pretty much usually what it's like for me. So
2: that, has, that does not in any way indicate narcolepsy to me. Oh, does it not? Absolutely not. A narcolepsy um, falls asleep multiple times during the time yeah. when they should wake. Okay. And it's right. like somebody um, turning a light switch out. Oh, like okay. you're awake and you're functioning, and then wham, you're sound asleep. Right. So okay, you, well, you are I, simply, um, you know, keeping what some people call alcoholic hours.
10: Yeah. Well, I hear what you're saying. Uh, the thing is, I do that's I That's, that's, I usually that's usually not a diagnosable
2: condition. That's just your choice, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong yeah. with choosing that. One of the few things okay. that anthropologists have not really paid too much attention to, in their study of people around the globe, is sleep. And mm. when, when a few anthropologists have gone to study sleep, what they have found is that very few Aboriginal people have a sleep time set aside. Okay. Um, I should tell like you Aboriginal that Aboriginal people I have, sleep at have, various mm-hmm. times. They don't all necessarily sleep at the same time because, of course, in an Aboriginal setting... You need to have some people awake all the time to keep the fires going and to ward off predators. So it wouldn't make sense for everybody to lay down and go to sleep at the same time. And often the sleep, uh, they don't sleep for like eight hours at a stretch. They may sleep for two to four hours at a stretch and then get up and do activity for six to eight hours and then sleep again. Yeah. So if you're comparing yourself to the Western cultural norm go to bed, sleep eight hours, get up, and then work for 16 hours and finding yourself lacking. Perhaps it's not you that's lacking, but the cultural norm that doesn't fit you.
10: Um, I should tell you that um, I usually am asleep, like well lying in bed, because I'm too tired to get out of bed usually all day long when I am awake. I I don't know why I can't sleep. I usually stay awake so late. But when I am awake, I usually am lying in bed because I'm so tired. And uh, I also have fallen asleep. I've fallen asleep in public places and uh, like collapsed, and they thought I had. Yeah, but that's
2: because you're not sleeping. That's because you're tired. Hmm. Again, that's not.
10: not So you don't think that I have. That's not correct.
2: Right. Okay. Right. Generally, when people don't sleep, um, there's a variety of different things that can be going on. Anywhere from being anxious and worried, which prevents you from sleeping to using caffeinated beverages, which prevent sleep, to overuse of alcohol, which can prevent deep sleep. And uh, so, again, rather than treating a diagnosis, um, what we're doing is finding out about you and what really works for you. And, again, let me say that the need for sleep is highly overrated. Right. So what I suggest that people do is to not harass themselves about their sleep, but not try to sleep either. So if you feel sleepy and you lay down and you go to sleep, and then you wake up in a few hours, then you allow yourself to get up and do whatever you want to do. You don't lie there and try to make yourself go back to sleep. And when you feel sleepy again, you go back to sleep. Certainly in my recovery from my extensive surgery I have found this very useful mm-hmm. so that I don't harass myself if I fall asleep at 10 o'clock at night and I sleep until 1 o'clock and then I feel awake I get up and do things Yeah. and then by 3 or 4 as the first birds are starting to sing I might feel sleepy again and I lay back yeah. down and I go to sleep and I might sleep for another 3 or 4 hours And Mm -hmm. most importantly, I do not mentally harass myself and say, you're going to be so tired, you're going to be so tired, you're not getting adequate rest. I trust my body to get needs. Okay.
10: So then you're basically saying that you don't think that I have narcolepsy from what
2: what I'm telling you? I absolutely do not think you have narcolepsy from what you are Mm -hmm. telling me. Okay, and
10: also, you don't really, you're not able to offer any kind of
2: advice for treating it with natural herbs? I'm not off, able to offer advice for treating any disease with herbs because I don't treat diseases, okay. I treat people. So, the first thing I'd like yeah. you to do is to start drinking nourishing herbal infusions. Nourishing herbal infusions? You can go to my YouTube channel. And at my YouTube channel, there's a lot of information about the Nourishing Herbal Infusions. You'll learn what herbs to use, how to make them, and start with any herbs that you want. The herbs that are the most soporific of the five that I regularly use are linden Mm
5: -hmm.
2: as well as oat straw. So Mm -hmm. you may wish to have slightly more of those in your rotation. They usually rotate evenly through five, but you could rotate, you know, you could do one and then another one and then linden and then one and then another one and then linden again and then oat straw again. So you can add a little more linden and oat straw to your rotation if you want to. There are a great number of herbs that help to promote sleep, but I don't know that you necessarily would benefit from herbs that promote sleep, but you're certainly welcome to try them out. Ashwagandha, which is somnifera, the sleeping herb, valerian a root that's used worldwide to help people sleep um california poppy one of the mildest members of the poppy family but certainly able to help people sleep skullcap one of my favorite right sleeping herbs especially for people who are nervous and anxious and having a hard time sleeping because of that so there's a tremendous number of herbs that can help with sleep and in my book abundantly well which maretta was just talking about I have an entire uh, two page spread about drugs that, that help to induce sleep and herbs that help to induce sleep. Oh, really?
10: Uh, where can I see that?
2: You can buy my book, Abundantly Well, at the com or you can buy okay. it at that big bookseller named after strong women, Amazons.
10: Okay. Yeah, I might check that out.
2: All right. Okay, Thanks thank for you so call. Much, Susan. Yes, take okay, care bye. of yourself, not a disease. Green blessing. Okay. Good
10: night. Okay, bye, Susan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
4: The next caller is coming from the 720
7: area code. Oh, hello, Susan.
2: Hi, what's up tonight?
7: Hi, this is Anna. Um, I have a question. I I um I've, I've been having some... Probably arthritis and tendonitis in my thumb, which I'm pretty sure is because I've really increased my use of hand tools in the past month. You know, so it's just building my body up slowly. um I do a lot in my diet to support my joints and tendons, but but I'm just wondering if you have any additions to help me get over the hump sooner, maybe
2: Education
7: <laughs> <That's> funny. <laughs> I've been uh i've been walking in nettles uh every day for the past
2: week <laughs> and getting your hand in the nettle
7: yeah yeah
2: <laughs> excellent 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 you having any good results
7: well it's i mean it's I don't know what I would be. I don't have a double blind. You know, I don't know what I would be without. I still have, like, that's my limiting factor. And maybe I need to get my hand in them even more.
2: That's what um, I'm saying. Yeah. It's not a matter of walking yeah, in it. It's really a matter of getting your hand in there and getting your hand thoroughly stung. Yep. Yep. My experience was that once, one morning, I woke up and the, my thumb... It was swollen up. It looked like somebody had stuck a golf ball in the base of my thumb. It was red and throbbing, and I could hardly close my hand. And I went up and stung my thumb, really stung yeah. it with the nettle. And within four hours, all of that swelling and heat and pain was gone, never to return.
7: Mm-hmm. Excellent.
2: Now, of course, I got it, you know, immediately as soon as it came up. So it's going to be easier to resolve when it's been there longer. It can be harder to resolve. But I I think that really, really getting it stung, even, you know, picking some nettle and lashing it with right. an N-R-T, it was difficult to get my thumb stung. The nettle didn't want to sting me. And I wound up, yeah. like, pleading with it, please, please sting me. I know we're friends, but please sting me.
7: <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because I'm in and doing it with intention rather than it just happening in the course of my work is going to be much exactly. more powerful. Exactly. Yeah well, that's simple. Yes, yes, and a good friend.
2: your yeah, education. your yeah, education. Thanks, Susan. <laughs> uh, good, good to talk to so good to hear
7: your voice.
2: to hear yeah. yours as well. Green blessings, lots of love. All right,
7: green blessings. Bye bye.
4: The next caller is coming from the six zero three area code.
11: Oh, that's me. Hi, Susan.
9: Hi. I'm,
11: I'm so happy you sound tonight. I didn't catch the beginning, maybe when you updated everybody, but um, I'll listen to the, to the replay. But you sound better to me. Um, I'm so happy to hear your voice, and it, you sound a lot stronger.
2: I'm so glad to hear that. You know, I was, I was saying this week, I said, you know, when I first came out of surgery, I realized that I couldn't advocate for myself and heal myself, that all I could do was heal myself, and I just had to let all the rest of it go. And then, you know, after a month, um, I wound up back in the hospital for a short stay, and I was able to both advocate for myself and heal myself. And now that I've been back a couple of weeks from that hospital stay, I find that I'm able to heal myself, advocate for myself, and raise holy hell where it's needed.
11: Ah, <laughs> good for you. <laughs>
2: So
11: I think I I'm getting felt, stronger. I yes, I I felt I bet that felt good to raise holy hell, <laughs> to be able to do that, right? Okay, so it's one I of mean, the main
2: things that keeps my blood pressure down. Um, uh,
11: uh, saying what you what you need to say brings blood pressure yelling. down.
2: People say, "Oh, you shouldn't get upset; it makes your blood pressure go up." But I have a blood pressure cuff, and I test. And after I yell, my blood pressure is way down. It really helps
11: me a lot. Oh, that's great!
7: I'm great. <laughs> I'm glad it works for
11: you. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking my call, Susan. I need uh, what, whatever information you can give me with. Um, I get to to fight again <laughs> to try to put on my armor against this pain that is with me because of a wicked scoliosis. And um, I've been, I've had to resort to um, just to get through so I could get back to physical therapy. I have resorted to drugs, which I know you don't know a thing about, and I don't like to take them. But for now, they're enabling me to actually take, you know, exercising, get physical therapy to build up the muscles in my spine to help me somewhat. And I've been on gabapentin and diclofenac, which probably mean nothing to you. So um, I'm coming to you because um, I'm wondering, I would really like your input. I'm trying to decide right now. Um, I have not yet been able to um, get the medical cannabis um, to um, get that – Uh, money out, $50 a year to um, get back on the medical. So that's my goal. Um, But for now, I'm trying to decide um, to go ahead with a steroid injection. Do you know anything about pros and cons? I mean, I of a steroid injection in my spine um, until I can um, save up enough. I I actually
2: talk about all of these things in abundantly well.
11: I have not yet been able to purchase that. And yes, steroid
2: injections are not very helpful and, in fact, can cause more damage. Okay. And I would, never call, I would never call scoliosis wicked, but I would definitely call gabapenta wicked. It's one of the most yes. wicked drugs out there. It causes suicide. It causes psychotic breaks. It's usually given with another drug to help you not be so psychotic.
11: Well, you know what? In my case, it's actually helped me because I always had a tr- trouble with anxiety, and it helped with that. So, but I'm trying to wean myself off of it because I don't think it's um, it's supposed to be against a uh, uh, help against nerves. But I don't think my pain is nerve. I think it's. It, I don't think it's. Uh, I was told um, there's nothing pressing on my nerve, so that's why I'm lessening my dose. Um, but I still. You know, think I need it against anxiety because not the herbals would help me. Mother
2: is so wonderful for women who are experiencing anxiety. And it doesn't have any of the side effects of Gabapenta. You know, when I was good. in the hospital because I could not advocate for myself and heal myself, and I chose to heal myself, they gave me Gabapenta and gave me a big prescription of it to take home, and threatened me and said, you have to keep taking it or terrible things will happen. And I will tell you, as soon as I got home, I threw it all in the trash.
11: How did it affect you?
2: It made me absolutely crazy.
11: See, mine calms me. Well, it calmed me when I take it. But I think I can wing myself off of it. That's my goal. and. Go um, and try motherwort again. Is that what you said? I my phone be motherwort tincture. Correct. Yeah, I I I need to try that again. Um, I haven't I haven't um, been able to get um, any of that tincture, but I finally have success with a motherwort plant. But it's going to take a while because I it's just ready to The Tincture is
2: available from Catskill Mountain Herbals. Makes fresh motherwort tincture in. 100-proof vodka. It's also available from Red Moon Herbals, who make fresh motherwort tincture in organic high-proof high alcohol. It's very easily available, the ready-made do you, tincture.
11: Do you prefer, um, does Red Moon also do the vodka? No. Oh. Well, don't you prefer the vodka version of motherwort? I Mata do, Moon? but I want
2: to give you more than one choice. The first oh, choice okay. I gave you, Cats Come Out in Herbals, does it with okay. vodka but the second yep. one doesn't because they decided they wanted organic and they couldn't get organic vodka
11: exactly exactly i i hear it's very you disappointing
2: to me but that was their choice
11: yeah okay yes oh uh, yes okay uh, do at least
2: fresh plant material and those are the two sources i know that use fresh plant material and again oh. i always like to give you a choice not just to give you one place and then you can you know decide what it is you want but Yes, it would be very silly of you to wait for your motherwort to flower and then make a tincture and wait six weeks before you could take it.
11: Exactly, exactly. Um, so get some um, motherwort
2: now, and your motherwort, when did you plant it?
11: Oh, um, actually last year.
2: So it must be flowering now.
11: Uh, that was my next question to you. I did a, I did a silly thing um you know, when you have a lot of pain, you know how you don't get to everything you want to do? So I I actually, it flowered, and I cut it, and I put it in some water, and it's been sitting a week. It's probably not, neat, doesn't have any value anymore, does it? That's what I needed to ask you, because I have to wait for it to I'm flower I'm not sure again. You when you
2: put it in water. You put it in water like a bouquet?
11: No, I actually put it... Um, Put it. You know, I have um, one of those things that has the needle stick, uh, um, a flower cushion pen, soaked in water, and I just stuck it in those pens so the leaf, the leaves aren't underwater, so they wouldn't. That's what I'm run. saying. Like
2: a flower arrangement.
11: Yeah, you didn't yeah. toss
2: the whole plant into a bucket of water.
11: I'm sorry. Can you repeat what you just said? I should t- I should toss it into a bucket of water?
2: No, I did not say that. I'm trying to find out what you did because okay. when you say put it in water, that's extremely unclear.
11: Of course it is, and I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Okay, what I meant, what I should have told you, is um, I put the bottoms of the stems in water. And so it has. How been, do the plants look
2: now? Are they still flowering? Do the leaves have some turgor to them, or is it all wilted and limp?
11: Um, let's say it's pretty. It's like some of the leaves are are limp, but the flowers still look good. The leaves still look good. There's only a few leaves that are yellow, have yellowed.
2: And I would say everything that looks good still has some activity and can be used.
11: Okay. So just in case... um, On the other hand, I would like
2: to say that cutting that herb up and putting it in a jar and pouring vodka over it is no more effort or energy than putting it in a needle holder and putting water in it.
11: I know. And you know what? I kicked myself afterwards. I wasn't thinking straight. I was half asleep. So um, I
2: understand. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, if you say, well, I didn't have the energy to do it. I'm like, but you had the energy to do that, so you really did. Have the energy to make the tincture as well. But, no, it's not wasted. Just get rid of the yellow leaves or any limp leaves and yeah. cut it up with some scissors fairly finely. Right, and I would cut off the wet part and not use that. And then fill a jar with it and pour 100-proof vodka over it and label it, and in six weeks you're ready to go.
11: Yes. Uh, well, I thank you. Any other tips against pain? Or um, And I'm still I have a,
2: quite an extensive section. Um, about herbs that can be used against pain, in um, abundantly well, as you know, CBD um, and various combinations of CBD and THC um, are quite excellent to help relieve pain. Some of the herbs that I talked about previously, like California poppy and skullcap, are also yep. excellent pain relievers. Yeah, uh, depending yep. on the specific of the pain. And this, earlier this. A year I did a workshop on pain, and I believe that my daughter Justine videotaped much of that workshop, and that that is available at various places. When she videotapes, she doesn't like, you know, just videotape the whole workshop as one thing. She videotapes, you know, three to five minute hunks of it, or the part where I'm talking about a specific plant. And then she might post those at YouTube, would be one place you might look for them. I know she okay. puts them at the mentor site so the mentor students have special access to certain things. Uh, but there's, I'm also not a a, there's also a course called Easy Herbal Medicine, and she takes Easy. some of those videos and puts them in that course, Easy Herbal Medicine, which is available at the School.com, in which every week you get a series of videos of my working with the plants as well as subsidiary materials. So those are the various things that she does. She posts some for free, and then she posts some in those two sites that you have to, um, in a way, have membership to. You have to, you know, yeah, join well, the Easy that, that, Herbal Medicine course or join yeah. as a mentored student. But uh, a certain yeah. percentage is always free, and there's also a, quite a bit of good information in Abundantly Well.
11: Yes. Well, well, thank you for that. I did want to share with you, before, of course, I went on any of the, uh, I I agreed to go to take these pain pills. They are actually working so that I can, I tried all of the above that you mentioned, the California poppy, the, uh, the um, 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 yeah, now my brain isn't working again. Um, all of the ones that you mentioned, I tried, and I even upped the dose. Like I I, f- I found options. when
2: I tried California poppy as pain relief that it didn't work very well and in talking to people about it they suggested that I was taking far too large a dose and that it was far more effective at very small doses and when I dropped down to a 3 to 5 drop dose I found it much more effective
11: yeah I started with a very small dose and all the and I I had to work up because it didn't do anything so I don't mm-hmm. know what the situation with with me but those um Lavender works Well, you know,
2: it, part, part of it is that different plants affect different kinds of pain. And yes. I've always found it useful to, you know, spend some time with my body and say, w- what kind of pain am I experiencing? Is it a dull pain? Is it a throbbing pain? Is it a sharp pain? Is it an aching pain? I was at a conference in Tucson, Arizona last December. And um, it was a conference on the use of psychoactive plants. And uh, especially for things like what uh, Craig Salerno is going to be talking about in terms of addiction and post-traumatic stress. And um, one of the herbalists who was there with me looked at me and said, you're in pain. I said, yes, I am in pain. She said, can you describe the pain? I said, well, actually, I have three different kinds of pain. There's a dull, kind of aching, bearing down pain. There's like a burning, radiating pain. And there's a sharp pain like somebody stabbing me with shards of glass. I said, I found herbs that actively deal with the bearing down pain and that deal with the burning pain, but I haven't found anything that really deals with the sharp, piercing pain. And so she went home and she did, you know, she spent some hours looking around for me and she came the next day with a remedy. And she said, This Uh is the one I found. And I took three drops of it in the palm of my hand and sure enough that stabbing pain went away. Now I had to take it every two hours to keep the pain at bay.
12: And this is something that,
2: again, that people generally don't really consider because they're so used to drugs, and you take a drug, you know, once and then again in 8 to 12 hours. But with herbs, for pain relief, it's often needed to take frequent small doses to get the pain relief that you need.
11: Yes, I did that. What, per, what, what Susan, was the one that worked for your stabbing pains?
2: Melolotus alba, but Melalotus officinalis, the flowering top.
11: Uh, that is one I have not tried, and all the other ones I've done in very small doses frequently. So this is one I have, well, maybe, oh, boy, am I going to be, am I going to kiss you and hug you from virtually? <laughs> uh, Mella Lotus.
2: Lotus Alba, which is the white form, and Melolotus Lotus Officinalis, which is the yellow form. It's called yellow sweet clover or white sweet clover. It's a very tall clover, can often reach four to five feet in height has slender racemes of flowers. doesn't look like white clover or red clover. It looks quite different.
11: Oh, my gosh. I pulled some out of my yard, the tall one.
2: Yes, and a wonderful have- sweet smell, which is why it's mella lotus, which is honey flower.
11: Oh, mella well. being honey. Okay. Does the, does the yellow work any better than the white, or are they both, both equal, do you feel? What she
2: found was Herbal was talking about the white, and that's what she had made, and she had it for me. And I, you know, went through the first bottle because I was taking it every couple of hours and begged her for another bottle from home, and she graciously gave me that. And then I ran out of that, and I felt, you know, kind of embarrassed to ask her for more. And so I asked Feather for some, and she had the um, officinalis, the yellow, and it worked absolutely fine for me. And now my daughter Justine just put up a quart of Melalotus officinalis of the tincture so that I could send – Donna double what she gave me, and return to White Feather double what she gave me, so that they have not only the return on what they gave me, but they have enough to give to the next person.
11: Okay, and and the mel lo- lotus that
2: still leaves me with more than a pint of the tincture, even after even not- if I pay back the women who helped me out in my need.
11: Very good for you, good for you. And um, the mel the mellow lotus official is which one again?
2: The yellow one. The alba that's is the white, one. right? Alba is yes. white.
11: Yes. I didn't know if you were t- you going to give me a third one. <laughs> thank you. Oh, I'm going to get a hold of that one. And like I said, I pulled the, I, I'm pretty sure that's what I pulled out because it was definitely a clover, and it was very, very tall, and small blossoms, narrow leaves. Did that yep. sound like the one?
2: And did it smell sweet?
11: You know, I didn't smell it. I just pulled it out. Um, I'm going to see if I can find another one somewhere in my yard. <laughs> I hope Susan, you
2: can. I, I rarely Susan, ever weed, I, I harvest.
11: I, I thank you so much. And you are playing,
2: so welcome.
12: Yeah,
11: because I I can tell you're on your way. So thank you, thank you. Uh, the one that worked for me just for You just might work for me. I'll let you know. <laughs>
2: okay, let me know. I'm eager to hear.
11: Yes, this is Rose, Good night. This is Rose, so you know when I call you next time, I'll let you know. This is Rose. Thank you. Great. Okay,
2: Rose, thank you.
11: Sweet dreams. Bye bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye bye. Wow, time is flying tonight, Rebecca. What do we have? 15 minutes left before our guest, before Craig Salerno comes to talk to us about ketamine and using a psychoactive uh, psychotherapy
4: hmm yeah, and we just have two callers as for now until he arrives, so we're doing Oh, well. and,
2: and did you hear my question? Did our guest who didn't show right. up last week ever get in touch with you?
4: I have not heard from her, so I did oh, not have a
2: to her. total no-show. Yeah,
4: but I wasn't the person that scheduled her because I haven't been doing the scheduling, so I'm right, not sure okay. if she reached Sandra or to um, – I'm not sure yeah. if uh, it was – that had scheduled her, but we'll find out.
5: I'll do a little
4: investigating myself. (laughs) All right. The next caller is coming from the 913 area code.
3: Hi, Susan. Can you hear me? I can. Uh, This is Tressa. I've called in a couple times before, and I could share with you so many stories of things that I've learned from you that have worked for me. Most recently, I dissolved my first breast cyst, Right when the quarantine started, I had a, my first lump in my breast, and it felt my, like mastitis, but I'm not breastfeeding anymore, and um, through the process of elimination, decided that it might be a cyst, and took a bunch of chickweed tincture regularly during the day and did massages with the oil, and I did get in for one acupuncture session before all the businesses shut down in the spring, and that thing was gone within three weeks completely.
2: All right. Hurrah
3: indeed uh so that made me feel magical and powerful and uh with good times um i come to with a question i know you have somebody else waiting um i've read all your oh also compliment you on the new book pedia i have wished for from reading your books for years just kind of in the back of my mind man it would be great if everything was just if she could just spill her brain out into a book and i feel like there must be so much left but it's so good thank you for putting it together it is a ton of information like you said
2: you're so welcome thank you
3: um, okay, so my question is about violet. Um, I have, uh, in your books, I can't figure out how to make the tincture. I bought it from some of the companies you recommended, and I'm wondering if I'm buying it, if it's just the uh, flowers or if they're using leaves. I know that you mentioned making a violet root tincture, um, and that would seem to be separate. So can you speak on that a little for me?
2: Well, I can, but it's not really much of a question, so it's kind of an answer. Oh, I'm sorry. So let me okay. let me give you a general answer. You can make a tincture of violet flowers. You can make a tincture of violet leaves. You can make a tincture of violet roots. They have three different uses.
3: Hmm. Okay.
2: Do you have my green book healing wise?
3: I do, yes.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. that should oh, go wait. in that should treat each of those three parts, the flowers, the leaves and the roots separately, yes? Okay.
3: I just was reading it while I was waiting to talk to you tonight, and I, I found, um, yes, you do talk about using the flowers for some things and the leaves for others and the roots. So uh, now that you say that, that makes more sense. Yes.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's how I've divided it up so that you can do those. Now, the interesting thing about the violet is that it has the flowers, the violet flowers that we all know and love. And strangely mm. enough, those flowers are not reproductive. They never make seeds. The violet mm. also has flowers that are held under the leaves along about now. And those actually okay. do make these, but it is the showy flowers that are usually used to make the tincture, not the actual flowers. So you don't really have to worry about that. that. It's kind of an interesting thing to know. Okay.
3: Um, I have uh, – so I can continue – The root, is, the root the is
2: considered mildly dangerous.
3: Yes. I don't plan to use that one. Um, can I harvest the leaves all year, um, all through the season? Does it matter if they are flowering or not? Just um, to save for teas, making infusion rather.
2: I don't know of any reason why you couldn't. What okay. would be your reason for not doing it?
3: I um, Well, I know that uh, things like dandelion leaves turn fairly bitter and change in some way after the plant has flowered, and that was why I wondered if it would uh, matter significantly.
2: Uh, that's not been my experience with dandelion. Wonderful. Okay. I find I, that the dandelion uh, leaves are at their most bitter before it flowers. Mm. And that after okay. it flowers, the leaves get sweeter and sweeter.
3: Oh, I'm going to try the ones in my garden then. I'm glad that we talked about this. I have one quick fact, question. I about like things, fall-harvested
2: don't... dandelion leaves the best because to me they are the sweetest. And the early okay. spring ones are far more bitter.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm going to try them again.
2: And again, uh, those, oh. those that bitterness usually is coming from alkaloids. And those alkaloids are stored in the root over the winter time. And so when the first spring growth comes, that's alkaloid-rich because it's feeding off the root. And then once it flowers, many of those alkaloids move into the flowering stalk. Um, Maria Trebin, the Swiss herbalist, used dandelion stalks as a prime remedy. And um, then after it's flowering, uh, there's far less alkaloids, and that's why the leaves get sweeter.
8: Huh. Oh,
3: great information. Um,
2: Yeah, dandelion, of course, is the most gracious of all herbs, any part of dandelion. Harvested at any time and prepared in any way makes a perfectly great Mm -hmm. remedy. So dandelion Mm -hmm. is a perfect beginner's herb because you really can do no wrong with a dandelion. (laughs) What we sometimes see, and this is noticeable in things like basil, right? If you have grown a basil plant, you know that to get big leaves, you want to keep it from flowering because basil is an annual annuals grow from a seed, that plant grows up, its desire is to flower and make seeds and then to die. So once it starts to flower, it puts little to no energy into its leaves. It's just to making flowers and seeds. And so to harvest basal leaves, we want to keep the plant from flowering, and we want to harvest those leaves before it flowers. But violet is a perennial. And because of that, the plant is continually feeding all parts of itself, because it's going to go on from year to year, unlike plants that are annuals.
9: Makes sense.
2: So, with annual plants, you definitely want to get the leaves before it flowers, but with perennial plants, you can generally harvest leaves even while it's flowering, depending on the individual plant, of course. Mm
8: -hmm. And uh,
3: I have some motherwort that I've Tinctured at three different times this season. I can't wait to experiment with it and see how it is. There, a few shows ago, you were talking about the Young yes. Mother Award, the middle yes. season What's and the fun. end season. So, yes, yay. Well, I can <laughs> let you go and talk to the other person. Uh, thank you for your time. Green blessings. Thank you
2: for your questions. Green blessings. Good night. good night. Good night.
4: The next caller is coming from the
8: 919 area code. Hi, good evening.
2: Good evening. What's up with you tonight?
8: Oh, okay. So I'll make my question quick. Um it, I was so glad I remembered that you were on tonight because I was staring at my um my I think it's Siberian motherwort. A friend of mine gave me a plant this year. Does that sound right, the the Leonard? Siberian mother yes. Yes. And so it's huge, it's like six feet tall and I think it's getting ready to flower. And I was just curious. Um, how you work with that plant, if you do.
2: Well, I don't grow it. I use the wild motherwort that grows around me, uh, the Leonoris cardiaca, um, okay. or hands from the heart, as she was like us to call her. And someone did send me a bottle of Siberian motherwort tincture, and I tried it once or twice, and I did not like it at all. I did not feel that it was. In any way similar to or congruent with the motherwort that I know and love.
8: Right. It's like it has a different action, right? Like it's um, I I read about it being called like marihuanillo in Mexico, and that they use it more as like a hallucinogen. Is that right? But I not know. I didn't read how they actually use it used in
2: that way. Yes, but usually not as a tincture. Usually it's the fresh leaves held in the mouth.
8: Okay, interesting. Or
2: the flowering plant smoked, dried and smoked.
8: Okay, cool. That's so, yeah, I will. I'll give it a try. And I mean, so, but you, did you, when you received the tincture, did you receive it and use it thinking that it would, like do some people use it similarly to the other? Um, I, would just to
2: see, I just took it to see how I responded to it, and I did not have a pleasant response to it.
8: Okay. Okay. Cool. I will. I'll well, just give it a try. Um,
2: absolutely. That's that's what's fun about herbal medicine, is it's hard to go really wrong. Just give it a try. See what you think. See what you like, and uh, see how you relate to the plant, and the plant relates to you.
8: Awesome. I will try that. Thank you so much. Do you have time? Can I just share one thing with you?
2: Please, uh-huh. I would love it.
8: Okay. So I have um I have a farm and there is an indigenous Mexican man who's a friend of kind of a family member who's been coming out to the, to the farm. And he saw the elderberry and said that he grew up using that plant. They would take the branches with, with the leaves on, and they would burn the branches like in the fire. They would kind of get them blackened a little bit. And then they would use the leaves of the elder to, um, like, for sore and achy muscles. I was like, wow, that's oh. so interesting. <laughs> I had never heard of that. So I just wanted to share that with you.
2: Thank you. Yes. Yeah, there's quite a few uses worldwide for using the the uh, small branches, and people um, talk about the doctrine of signatures, how the small branches look like they have little ulcerations or little wounds on them. And so by the Doctrine of Signatures, that would help heal ulcerations and wounds. Of course, we remember that Elder Moore is the goddess who guards the elder. And it's especially important if you're going to actually be cutting her branches to make sure to get her permission. There's the apocryphal story about the road crew in England who was building this you know, super highway? and they came upon a grove of elder. And they just laid down their tools and refused to work because they were not going to cut down the elder because they knew that it would cause terrible traffic accidents. And they actually had to make the engineers make a bypass around this elder grove with the road.
8: Whoa, that's so amazing. I didn't know that. Okay, wonderful so to know. It's kind of like not a casual thing to just
2: go off and lop off some elder branches. You really need to get in touch with elder more, the elder spirit, and find out if it's okay with her especially when there's so many other things that can relieve muscular pain.
8: Yeah, okay, good to know. Wonderful. Thank you so much.
2: You are welcome. Dream blessings. Good night.
8: Dream blessings. Good night.
2: Well, we actually have time for one more short question, if anybody else has pressed one and raised their hand.
4: Not uh, as of now. Let's see if Craig is is Craig
2: already with us? If so, I'll introduce him.
4: He is here.
2: Craig is a licensed addiction counselor and a licensed professional counselor. He has over a decade of experience working in the field of addiction. Craig Salerno is passionate about exploring psychedelic medicine work as it pertains to individuals in active addiction and recovery. Craig Salerno works in private practice in Boulder, Colorado, offering psychotherapy, psychedelic integration services, and ketamine therapy for a range of mental health concerns, including addiction. Welcome to the show, Craig. Thanks for being a little early so we can get started.
12: Absolutely. Thank you, Susan, for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Yes. Could you give us like some general background about how it is that you
12: got into this work? Absolutely, sure. So, yeah, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology with a focus in addiction counseling um, and very quickly upon jumping into the field of addiction counseling, working in treatment, um, realized that this is a very complex uh, psychological um, illness that needs a lot of support. So I actually pursued my master's degree from Naropa University out here in Boulder, Colorado. Um, got a degree in contemplative psychotherapy and just continued in the pursuit of looking how to treat and work with addiction, uh, primarily substance abuse addiction. Um, So, yeah, stayed really steady in that field, have worked in conventional treatment models, so inpatient addiction treatment, outpatient addiction treatment, um, and just recently started moving into utilizing psychedelic medicine, specifically ketamine, um, to explore how that could potentially help uh, work with addiction. Um, So that's a little bit of what I'm most excited about these days is providing psychedelic-assisted therapy with ketamine to work on addiction, um, but also doing we call psychedelic integration, so supporting individuals that are using other psychedelic medic- medicines, specifically ayahuasca, iboga, um, psilocybin, and helping them integrate some of their experiences and receive some healing and um, hopefully to put to bed kind of the pain of the addiction cycle. So that's a little bit of a background.
2: Could you tell me about the first time you saw someone taking ketamine or perhaps you could tell us, if you've taken ketamine yourself?
12: Yeah, so I worked with it personally. So I'm ketamine-assisted psychotherapy trained through the Ketamine Training uh, Institute um, with Dr. Phil Wolfson and Julaine Andrews, and that was actually the first time I'd ever worked with ketamine. Ketamine kind of has a a negative uh, connotation, I think, in the substance world. Um, Often I think a lot of people associate it with what they call the K-hole and kind of losing control. It's a dissociative medicine, so it's often – kind of equated with losing control, but the first time using it in a therapeutic setting, um, I think one of the big benefits of ketamine is that it really down-regulates the nervous system, uh, provides a strong sense of safety and comfort, and that enables therapists to actually kind of move in a little bit deeper, Um, particularly with substance abuse and addiction. There's a lot of trauma that we're typically working with, and what ketamine has a wonderful ability to do is really lower the defenses, um, kind of instill this natural cool cool. Um, emotional state and let us navigate a little bit deeper into the work um, with a lot more safety. And then it's also a psychedelic medicine. So it initiates a lot of spiritual insight, a lot of visual insight. Um, So you're kind of entering into territory with a lot, a lot of different tools that maybe you don't have um, when not using a psychedelic medicine.
2: And in general, if you take ketamine about how long is your uh, perception altered
12: Yeah, I mean, it it depends, I think, client to client based on sensitivity. Um, But Typically, I would say within an hour to an hour and a half, the client will experience kind of a peak um, and then kind of a downfall. And then there's kind of a lingering impact for another additional an hour and a half. So we usually schedule for about three-hour sessions for ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Um, So what someone will do, we'll come in, we'll set intentions, we'll build relationship around what we'd like to work on in that session Um, They'll ingest the medicine within 15 minutes. There's an onset that the client can usually report um, feeling some alteration in consciousness. And then by 45 minutes, there's a peak, often, um, as I mentioned, spiritual insight, visual insight, um, emotional release, and catharsis, and then back down for the next maybe hour um, where we do a lot of debriefing and the therapist is very active in the session, um, supporting the client with kind of unpacking what came up. Um, But a lot of the way that we really encourage people to utilize these medicines is to really trust the innate healing intelligence that kind of comes internally. So what we're doing as psychotherapists is really providing a safe space for them to do the deep internal exploration, utilizing the psychedelic medicine as a catalyst. And the therapist kind of holds space, provides additional support and insight and grounding, and then really helps kind of debrief and and kind of ground the insights on the back end of the session.
2: Yes, that certainly would be the way that I would describe it is that it's not the ketamine so much that allows people to feel safe as the safe space that you, the therapist, set up. Absolutely, because yeah. we certainly yeah. know people who've, who've taken ketamine in a non-safe space who have not experienced safety.
12: Absolutely, yeah. I think when given the yeah, appropriate setting, the medicine can become very powerful, and it does. I mean, it works on the glutamate system. It really helps turn off some of the alarm systems, so... Yeah, as you mentioned, like the, an ideal setting, a safe setting. This medicine particularly has a lot of potency with helping initiate the safety. But, yeah, of course, the therapist and that, that space yeah. alone, I think, really does a lot of the work.
2: And our thanks to Timothy Leary, who way back in the 60s says, set and setting, everybody, set and setting. This is what's really yeah, important. It certainly you know, was my experience during the years when I took LSD sometimes as much as twice a week. And guided hundreds and hundreds of people on trips is that the difference between um, using LSD in a way that helped to promote growth emotionally and spiritually was the set and setting. And people who did not pay attention to that often got themselves into real jams. I mean, the funniest thing I ever saw anybody do, we were, you know, pretty far out, you know, I'd like to take people into. a forested setting, because there there is quite safe. And this person that I was guiding said, I just need to be alone, and walked away out into the forest. He was gone for hours, I mean, really to the point where I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, have I, like, you know, lost psychic communication. He comes finally, about 10 minutes later, walking out of the woods stark naked. Right, and the next day he goes, Where's my wallet? And I looked at him and go, well, you're, you're going to have to, you know, go back into your memory and see, see if you can remember where you digested <laughs> yourself of all your clothes, sir. Because <laughs> I'm sure that's where your wallet is. <laughs> but it was just wonderful yeah. to see, you know, that he knew he wanted to be alone. And then when he got alone, he just said, you know, I'm a child of nature. I don't need all this stuff. And it was yeah. it was amazingly healing for him to do that, even though, of course, the next day, he was very upset that he had tossed his wallet somewhere. So, uh, certainly, uh, a a setting inside, I found inside settings much more difficult to maneuver and much more difficult to keep people feeling safe than outside settings, but I'm an outdoor girl, anyhow. So, do you have, um, do you say, like, this person is a good candidate for psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, and this person is not, and what would help you distinguish between those people?
12: Yeah, That's, yeah great question. One of the big, the big things we look at is we're typically working with people that are considered quote-unquote treatment resistant, and what that really means is that they've tried a series of other treatments. Maybe they've tried a standard medication. They've tried psychotherapy. Um, they've tried to shift their diet, and they're just not seeing kind of the impact and movement through what they're trying to work on. And really, we try to use ketamine-assisted therapy as an, an additional option for someone who's tried a bunch of different options. Um, and when they come to us, really, it's, it's from a place of really wanting to feel some shifts. So that's a big piece, is that we're really looking at treatment-resistant um, issues right off the bat. And a big reason we look at that is because there's not a giant wealth of research on ketamine-assisted therapy right now. We're still building that. So it's important to acknowledge we're still figuring out the pros and cons of this treatment. Um, So we really encourage people to try traditional talk therapy, even herbalism. I mean, all these traditional methods of working first and then coming to psychedelics, I think, more um, when people feel stuck. And I think that's part of the the potency of psychedelic medicines is when people feel stuck, they're kind of witnessing what the issue is, but they can't really dive deep. Or they feel like maybe the defenses are too high where I want to get to this core trauma, um, but it feels particularly challenging to go in there. Even when I talk about it, I can't access it. Um, the psychedelic medicines are really great at like relieving some of the defenses and allowing us to go deeper. Um, so people who are Huxley, the depth,
2: as Aldous Huxley would have it. It opens the doors of perception.
12: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's certainly true. And we have no idea what is going to be behind that that door, whether it's a lady or a tiger. So it is good to have <laughs> a guide and a safe place, just in case the tiger comes leaping out at you. Although the lady absolutely. can be dangerous as well. So, um, in a way, right now, ketamine is being used kind of as a last resort. You have to have failed previous therapies. You can't just walk in and say, wow, you know, I'm addicted and I want to use ketamine. I personally don't deal a lot with people who are addicted, and the few people that I've dealt with, of course, are opiate addicted, which is the most common addiction nowadays. And uh, certainly cannabis products I have found remarkably successful as a first-line helper.
12: Yeah, yeah. I'm Actually, I trained with a program. Are you familiar with Medicinal Mindfulness? They're a company out here in Boulder as well, and they use cannabis um, and cannabis meditations, particularly to work with addiction, and they see a lot of success and a lot of benefit um, working with cannabis as well. Yeah, yeah. But there, there's a series of other t- treatments that people can try before stepping into the ketamine space. And, yeah, I think it's it's just one other tool we have available um, particularly when things start to feel really scary and maybe there's not a feeling like there's a doorway out, just to remember that psychedelic-assisted therapy is an option um, that's available. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it's, of course, it goes without saying that it's incredibly difficult to be in the grip of an addiction, to find your mind saying, I don't want to do this, and your body doing it anyhow, and to feel very torn. And that's what addicted people have said to me. I luckily enough have a very non addictive personality. I can actually buy chocolate by the case and simply <laughs> put it in the freezer and have a bar now and then. I'm that you know, I have that little uh, addictive material in my personality. So thank you very much. You know, I've never enjoyed coffee. There's simply no substance no addictive substance has ever really appealed to me. Opiates increase my pain. So I just <laughs> you know, alcohol makes me feel very trashed. So I you know, have been blessed with that. But I've heard people talk about it and how torn they feel by it and how they feel that the, the addiction process itself is causing more addiction because they feel so separated from themselves. Am I on to something here? Is that something you've heard?
12: Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a, They kind of call it the guilt and shame cycle in addiction. So, yeah, the part of me that would like to not be powerless to my addiction, but then, like you said, the body – I mean, it's really the mind that gets hijacked into believing that the only way I can actually take care of my pain is through continued substance use. So I use the substance. I feel guilt and shame. The only way I know how to tolerate my guilt and shame is to continue with the substance use. And as you can imagine, yeah, you get stuck in kind of this cyclical process where some part of you is deeply desiring to get out and feel ashamed that you can't get out. But then the way to tolerate the shame is to use the substance. And before you know it, yeah, you're in this never-ending momentous cycle um, that usually requires a lot of intervention to get out of. Um, just based on like the pure power and magnetism of the compulsion. So, yeah, again, another reason psychedelics are powerful. If there's anything that's kind of proven to be um, effective with stopping compulsive systems and waking us up to new experience, it's, it's psychedelic experience. It really opens new doors and, you know, shows us the lady or the tiger and just these new experiences alone can be kind of that shock to the system to start slowing down some of the momentum of the compulsive use. So. Yeah, I think another spot, spot thing that
2: is. I have found uh, effective, but not as generally effective, is sleep deprivation.
12: Say more. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear.
2: Uh, a lot of brain chemicals change when we're not sleeping, and um, many oh, yeah. traditional cultures actually have specific times set aside where everybody stays up all night long. And you were talking about unpacking and deregulating, and I believe that that's what staying up all night long does, that allows a lot of emotional unpacking, and it deregulates certain parts of the nervous system.
12: Yeah, interesting.
2: Yeah, it's curious too. You know, know it's it's a drug-free, pretty easy thing to do, especially the more ritual you bring to it. So if there's not just one person but a few people, if they're not just staying awake all night to like talk about how terrible life is but if they're doing you know an active say a heartbeat drum or active meditations chanting doing kirtan you know mm-hmm. drawing mandalas coloring and mandala coloring but again set and setting so it's not merely the sleep deprivation but as the set and setting that we set for that and the things that you have mentioned setting an intention Mm-hmm critically yeah, I'm so that we have a roadmap of where we're going. Absolutely. Yeah. So and, do you use anything besides ketamine? Have you used, you mentioned ayahuasca, um, um, you mentioned uh, ibogaine, you mentioned um, psilocybin. Have you used any of those psychoactives
12: as well? So this is, yeah, this is the, the current bummer is that, um, those medicines are currently not legally available for clinicians to use in the United States, so I'll often refer clients to spaces where they can I use I thought legal in Boulder. It's, it's decriminalized. It's not legal. So, I mean, if you're carrying a small amount, you will not get punished as severely as you, you used to, but it's still an illegal, illegal substance and certainly not one we can use clinically I just yet. So it's illegal,
2: but it's not punishable. Yeah, It's, el- it's yeah, been el- decriminalized. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. You can't buy it or yeah. sell it. You can't use it therapeutically, yeah. but you're not going to get yeah, your hand that. any more than slapped if they catch you with it.
12: Bingo. Yeah, so we can't use it as clinicians just yet, but we do refer to places where they do utilize, so there are retreat centers in Jamaica, and the Netherlands, uh, Costa Rica, Peru, so we'll often refer to programs that are utilizing ayahuasca, ibogaine, psilocybin, um, particularly people that have the means to kind of find their way to those locations and some of the beautiful things about that too is they're connected more with the indigenous cultures that have been using these medicines for eons Um, and as you said the set and setting thing goes way back and i think yeah we have a lot to learn from a lot of traditions the shipibo in peru and the lakota church using overnight ceremony like you said with sleep deprivation a lot of these medicines are usually in like very deep like you said traditional ritualized use and that just increases their efficacy so yeah, I'm all about sending clients down in the, into different regions to use different medicines and then helping them unpack the experience when they do come back to their normal life and have to integrate all of what they've seen and felt and experienced. So that's another passion I have as well.
2: Yes, my first peyote ceremony and every peyote ceremony, although I haven't been to many, has been an all-night ceremony in which you stay up singing and being together all night long. So there's, there's that aspect to it as well as doing that. My experience and the experiences I've heard from people that I've worked with um, about psilocybin and about peyote have been pretty generally uh, beneficial to them. One of my students was actually uh, one of the people who was in a, a fairly early study, gosh, I guess over 20 years ago, of psilocybin with, with people with terminal cancer. And she actually survived her terminal cancer. She's one of the few in the group that did it uh-huh. all. were given a single dose of psilocybin. And it pretty much eliminated their fear of death. And she came to me. She said, you know, it's been 10 years since I was able to take psilocybin, and I'm starting to get afraid again. Can you help me find some more psilocybin? Oh, wow. She said, I just I just need a touch-up. I just need a reminder. Yeah, a recharge. And I find that so true, you know, that the, the psychoactive plants are not the kind of thing that we w- want to say, okay, we're coming every week for a ketamine session. Okay, we need to take psilocybin, you know, every two weeks. Um, no, these plants often can be used as a one-time use and have profound changes. Again, if you have some help, some guidance to help you understand what you've experienced and how you can translate that into your real life, as we call it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that that has not been my experience with ayahuasca or ibogaine, in which basically across the board, the experiences that I've seen of people have been psychotic breaks, um, bad juju, and um, places that I don't want to see people go and that I don't want to have to... See if I can go there to take them, if to see if we can bring them
12: home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the truths about the psychedelic medicines: high um, rate of success, but also can be particularly dangerous depending on what mind states come in. Yeah, certain plants are not for everybody, and I think that's—I think I'm glad that you spoke to that. I think they they can have their own risk associated with them, and yeah, not uncommon to see psychosis and different things appearing when used inappropriately or, yeah, with poor guidance. I think that's definitely something that's a risk of the psychedelic medicine space.
2: I've had three apprentices who took ayahuasca in Peru under the guidance of a shaman. Um, And all three basically uh, were soulless. And I said to somebody, what is this? And she looked at me and she said, it's called the vine of the soul because it
11: eats your soul. Oh, wow.
12: That's not been so, my experience with ayahuasca. But yeah, I definitely know it does. I've I've spoken to many people who have had negative experiences with ayahuasca many who have had positive experiences and yes yeah, a, yeah. a high risk medicine for sure.
2: For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um even though it is one of the most popular at this time and therefore I think, you know, most available to overuse. Now my sweetheart, when I was teaching in Nevada, went looking for something to do. He loves baseball, but there wasn't any baseball going on in Nevada. And he loves Shakespeare, but there weren't any Shakespeare plays going on in Nevada. So he wound up in a um, Native American peyote ceremony, mm. f- failing Shakespeare in baseball. And it was <laughs> it was a really awful experience for him because it was the Native American church, and it's so highly Christianized. And they spent all of their prayer time, you know, saying what terrible sinners they were and how, you know, they deserved you know, to be, you know, harmed for all of their terrible sins and, you know, how they were addicted to this, and they deserved that terrible punishment. And at Uh, a certain point, he just got up and he said, I don't want to listen to any more of this. You know, I do not want to be in an altered state of mind and hearing all this. This is real poison, and I'm leaving. And they said, you can't leave. Mescalito will get you. And he said, I would prefer to be gotten by Mescalito than the thought forms that are present here.
5: Oh, wow.
12: Yeah,
2: that's a scary peyote ceremony. <laughs> so, again, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to go to a peyote ceremony. What Craig Salerno is saying and what I am really pushing is, and I talk about it in Deep Medicine – Deep medicine is surgery, and deep medicine is psychoactive plants. You would not go for surgery with someone who didn't know what they were doing. You wouldn't go for surgery for someone with someone who was not highly trained. You wouldn't go for surgery with someone who did not have sharp scalpels and a uh, sterile setting. You would make sure if you were going for such surgery that all of these things were in place. When we are using deep medicine, psychoactive plants, we want to be just as careful as if we were engaging in surgery.
12: Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's where I love the cross of psychotherapists starting to utilize psychedelic medicines is if there's one thing that we're particularly focused on is developing a lot of rapport, a lot of safety, really understanding the makeup of the clients we work with doing, we call it just preparation psychotherapy, really seeing, feeling, understanding the ailments that our clients are going through. So by the time we enter the ketamine space or the psychedelic space, we already have a big mapping of our client. We're obviously highly trained with working with emotional content in general and providing safety, and then we're inviting the psychedelic as a catalyst for the process to help the client really initiate a lot of the healing process for themselves internally, Um, but versus just going to Peru and working with a shaman you've never met, working with a psychotherapist who's developed a deep relationship with you, who has kind of seen and walked through a lot of your content with you, obviously a lot more safety, a lot more understanding, and like you're saying, you're walking into a doctor that kind of has the tools available and also knows you very deeply um, and how important that is for the healing. And I'm sure with you, like you said, guiding friends and people that you've been close to, there's something about the relationship that really anchors a lot of the work. Um, So, yeah, it's a huge part of the medicine work.
2: And the acceptance that one works as a therapist to accept all parts of oneself so that when we meet You know, whatever is behind those doors, we do not run away in terror, but we're able to stay there and to observe and to that the safety is there because we're willing to accept. And our willingness Mm -hmm. to accept allows the people we're working with to accept as well. Absolutely. Yeah,
12: and I think that's such a big part of the healing in itself, of taking this attitude of openness and curiosity and compassion and acceptance And choosing to go to the places that feel scary, that feel, I feel trepidation going here, but I know I'm going to try to meet it with openness and curiosity. I'm going to have an ally right next to me, a therapist who's going to support me. Also, a medicine that's going to help initiate some experience and carry some new tools with me. Yeah, and just what a beautiful thing, just setting the intention to go in that direction. That alone, I feel like, has a very powerful healing quality in itself. Before you even ingest the medicine, before the session even goes, the willingness to say yes to that, uh, to me, has immense benefits for some someone's mind and spirit
2: yeah you're listening to Susan Weed and Craig Salerno talking about uh, using psychoactive plants as deep medicine to help people who are in an addiction cycle and who have a desire to change that and to change what's going on with addictive behavior of any kind in their life what's the best way for people to get in touch with you Craig
12: uh, the best way would be through my website, so craigsalernoconsulting. dot com. I'm also part of a collective called the Boulder Ketamine Collective, um, and that's boulderketaminecollective. dot com. And through there, you can find my contact, my email. Um, yeah, I'm just coming through. That is probably the best way.
2: And that's C R A I G Craig. Craig. Um, and then, do you use your middle initial or just Craig Salerno?
12: Just Craig Salerno, S A L E R N O counseling. dot com.
2: Okay, great, craigsalernocounseling.com. Do you think that this is a field that is going to expand in the future?
12: Absolutely. I think this is the thing I'm most excited about. Um, Agencies like MAPS that are doing a lot of the clinical research, there's a a large team of researchers, clinicians, doctors, um, that are really pursuing the research side of this to build the proof of how powerful these psychedelic medicines are um, for addiction, for PTSD, for trauma, Um, for all different types of mental and physical health. Um, And as we develop more research and develop a lot more credit for these medicines, I believe they're going to become a lot more widely available, a lot more normalized in our culture. And hopefully I think just integrated into our mental health system and our medical care system. Um, So I feel quite excited. I think it's going to take quite a bit of time and reputation building, Um, but the research is really on our side. The benefits of these medicines are, I mean, it's really hard to deny once you see the research. Um, So I feel quite excited, and ketamine is one of the ones we have legal to us now, but slowly and surely I imagine psilocybin and MDMA and um, all different types of medicines are going to become available to clinicians and uh, healers. So I feel quite excited about what the future looks like.
2: Yes, me too, because when people say to me, well, you know, there's dangers in using these things, and I say, have you looked at the death toll from opiate
12: addiction? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, 64,000 people will die from overdose a year in the United States. These are all considered, um, these, these are deaths that don't need to be happening, obviously, and particularly why I feel excited about bringing these medicines into addiction. This is a big crisis that we're facing with opiate addiction, benzodiazepine addiction, um, and these medicines are being prescribed pretty consistently, and people are becoming addicted pretty easily um, to bring psychedelic medicines into that world. And like you said, it's shifting from something that you have to take every day, that you potentially get addicted to, to utilizing psychedelics as these um, one, two, three, four times a year Medicine to help us recharge To understand our innate wisdom um, I get excited about that In some way pushing away all these other medicines That are clearly causing a lot of pain and harm
2: Yes, you know Herbal medicine in the United States Is very different from herbal medicine In any other country in the world And I certainly haven't taught in every country in the world But I've taught in a lot of different places And what I've seen is place after place kind of fall to the scientific tradition. And that's somewhat what we're talking about here tonight is that you can't use psilocybin or peyote, the natural uh, deep medicines, because of the scientific tradition, which requires that you have double-blind studies and you prove all of this. But the United States and herbalists in the United States have remained license-free and remain free of this kind of overwhelming scientific uh, tradition uh, loyalty. And that is because virtually every single um, foremother and forefather of the herbal revolution in the United States from the 60s through the 70s and into the 80s was taking psychoactive plants. Mm. So we come to our herbal medicine literally from the ground up, literally from the spirit of the plant out, rather than from the scientific narrowing um, toward uh, the understanding of herbs. We come from the more connected and expansive view and have been able to maintain that and maintain people's connection to that. My own personal, of course, thing is to reestablish herbal medicine as people's medicine. And certainly, the use of these psychoactive plants has always been people's medicine. We have always had uh, people in every culture who've been traumatized by something or another. Right? Trauma is part of the human condition. And trauma can set up a static pattern in the brain and a static pattern in pain that can be very difficult to dislodge without the use of these deep medicine psychoactive plants.
12: Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think in some ways, like you said, returning to our roots, I think our, the human, human lineage have been utilizing these medicines long, long before now. And yeah, I think running into yeah, the challenges of the scientific model and, and the need for the research, if anything, we're just proving what I think a lot of people have already proved over time, which is that these medicines are deeply powerful. They're teachers. Um, they have immense healing qualities and we're just re- relearning that that is true and, yeah, I appreciate what you said about herbalism, just continuing to be the people's medicine. It's a beautiful way to look at that. And
2: and I see, you know, what you're doing as part of that, part of the superstructure of that, even though you're not really allowed to use herbs and you use ketamine, which is, let's face it, is a drug it's manufactured, and that's why it's preferred, because this is, you know you absolutely know the dose, whereas when you're taking a natural thing like psilocybin or um, mescaline, you don't, you know, peyote, you don't actually know what the active amount is, which of course as an herbalist is what I like, because we're all we're so different Um, from individual to individual and even within ourselves, you know, from day to day or part of our life to part of our life, we can be different. And so the plants are able to kind of uh, dance with us in that difference where the drugs are always a static thing. But that doesn't mean that they're not usable. The work that you're doing is really um, work that I believe doesn't just help the individual that you're working with, but helps heal us culturally as well.
12: Agreed. Yeah, that's where I get most excited about this work. I think the more individuals heal, the more they carry their healing to the collective. Yeah, and I think inherently, we we work with one person with the understanding that as one person heals, they heal their community. That goes beyond, and that's where I get really excited. Um, just healing people up, softening people's hearts, um, waking their waking them up to their innate healing intelligence. And I think we just shine and mirror that to other people once that's awake for us. So yeah, hopefully this revolution and opening just spreads way wider than just the individuals who come into my office and into their families and communities and beyond. So that's the I think I think
2: think we are actually seeing some of the results of this, even though it's just in its baby stages, with the enormous number of people who are you know, out there saying, Yes, black lives matter and this has to change. What's going on has to change. That's that kind of heart opening, heart expansion that these psychoactive plants offer to us and offer out to the community at large so that we become truly more caring of each other and more able to experience the world from a different viewpoint. Because, after all, isn't that what these plants allow us? They give us a different viewpoint about ourselves.
12: Yeah, I think they remind us that we're deeply interconnected, which I think is some of the medicine we're all receiving and the medicine we all need right now is to remember how deeply interconnected we are after being coached and taught that this is a highly individualized um, system that we have in this life actually it's a deeply interconnected system and yeah, I think waking up to that and feeling compassion for that is, is the healing
2: This is Susan Weed talking with Craig Salerno you can find Craig at craigsalernocounseling.com if you want to find out more if you want to connect more if you want to find out where you can get ketamine assisted therapy in your area if you don't happen to live in the Boulder area And, Craig, I want to thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. This is a powerful thread. As we've been saying, it's a a thread that has been going on for a very, very long time. And it was a thread that was getting very thin. So thank you for coming in and bulking up this thread and letting it shine in that healing cloak again. I very much appreciate your work. And thank you for Rebecca for helping me promote herbal medicine as people's medicine and all of the wonderful people out there. I wish you all green blessings and good night.
4: Thank you, everyone. Good night.
12: Good night. Thank you.